Well, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. It's really great to be here in what I can't help in my, as I enter my ninth year living in this beautiful city of ours, the place I think of as the epicenter of the Jewish community in San Francisco. And don't tell my rabbi I said that. Um, look, these are very challenging times. You know, I'm used to getting up here and in shuls around the country, in places around the world, and saying these are very challenging times for Israel, which is a surefire thing to say because it's always true. But these are very challenging times everywhere in the world right now. And Rabbi, I was struck when you talked about the the shift in the seasons, which is this beautiful calendrical moment when we go from the notion of, of summer into stav, into fall. And, and uh, you talked about angst. You used the word angst. And I think that angst characterizes the way so many of us feel. And so, kola kavod, uh, congratulations to you at Temple Emmanuel, Congregation Emmanuel, and your Israel Action uh, Committee that is making sure that you are able to have conversations that are difficult conversations about the most difficult topics in the Jewish world in a civil way. And you model that for the whole country and I think beyond. So I'm very honored to be able to come and speak with you all tonight about the way I engage with Israel and the organization that I'm privileged to lead, New Israel Fund. Uh, which works to support tens of thousands of Israelis who, despite enormous challenges, work every day to try to build a country that lives up to its founding values as a democratic state and a homeland for the Jewish people. And you may not know this, but like Emmanuel, the New Israel Fund is an authentic San Francisco institution. We were founded right here in 1979 by four Bay Area Jews uh, and their friends and partners in Israel who felt in 1979 that the ways of engaging with Israel that were available to them were simply not enough. They didn't just want to write a check to Federation, and hey, I mean, I ran Federation. I want you to write your checks to Federation. Uh, and they didn't just want to go on a mission with the shul to Israel. They wanted to have Israelis with whom they could roll up their sleeves and get to work to strengthen the state. And they had a theory for how they wanted to do that, because it's hard to imagine now, but in 1979, Israel had no civil society. And by that, I mean no rich ecosystem of organizations and activists working to represent marginalized and minority voices, like women and LGBT people and Arab Israelis and Russian immigrants and Ethiopian Israelis. No organizations or activists working on behalf of civil rights, human rights, the environment for social justice. And the founders of NIF set out essentially to build that civil society. And over the 37 years since we were founded, that's really what they've done. And we've done it through three strategies. First, through making grants. And in the early days, that included building organizations, since there really weren't very many. So NIF, uh, the founders of NIF, sat with young entrepreneurial Israelis, social entrepreneurs. This is nothing that has changed in Israel. It's still a country full. It is startup nation for a reason, not only in business and tech, but also in social justice and civil rights. And so they helped these young Israelis start new organizations to represent the fields that we continue to support. Social and economic justice, human rights and civil rights, shared society, that is building an Israel that is really a shared society between all of Israel's diverse population groups. The Jews, the Arab Israelis who make up 22% of the population, but within those groups there is a myriad of other groups. And Israel is nothing if not 
one of the most diverse countries on Earth, just like our own. And so building bridges between these groups is an essential part of what NIF sets out to do. And then finally, we also work to secure religious freedom and pluralism within Israel. Uh, in addition to making grants, uh, we have the largest nonprofit capacity builder in the state of Israel as our operating arm. It's called Shatil, which means seedling. And the founders of NIF realized a few years after starting the organization that if you just wrote checks to Israeli organizations that didn't know how to do good nonprofit governance, that didn't know how to go fundraise or set up the back office that every nonprofit needs, all the unglamorous stuff that you need to succeed as a business or a nonprofit, they'd be wasting those checks. And so Shatil grew into, as I said, Israel's leading nonprofit capacity builder, helping organizations become efficient and effective, helping them work in coalitions, helping them lobby at City Hall or at the national level for the goals that they share. And then finally, NIF began a series of things that we call special projects because no one's been able to think of a better name for them. And these are uh, campaigns to advance the agenda that we have of building a vibrant civil society that keeps Israel a flourishing open democracy through really surgical ways. And my favorite example is, uh, is the civil rights law program. Uh, every year we select two up and coming young civil rights attorneys to be our law fellows. We fly them to Washington, D.C., where the American University's Washington College of Law donates a master's in civil rights law. And then we place them with one of NIF's American sister organizations. And you can guess what those are, the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, Lambda Legal Defense, the Sierra Club, the NAACP LDF, and so on and so forth. After they finish their master's degree, they return to Israel, where they do a term of service with one of our grantee organizations. And in the 35 or so years that this program has been in, uh, in operation, the 70 or so attorneys who have graduated from it now comprise the civil rights bar of the state of Israel. And virtually every piece of impact litigation that the high court in Israel, the Supreme Court of Israel, has ruled on that has opened up Israel into a more inclusive society is the product of these NIF-trained attorneys and their organizations from uh, the case that allowed uh, the first woman to become tra to train as a fighter pilot, the woman, who, the woman who integrated the Israeli Air Force. That was a case brought by a former board member and law fellow of ours, Neta Ziv, uh, who succeeded in bringing that to the high court, all the way to the case that some of you may remember, brought by someone who I am guessing is as dear to you as she is to NIF, Anat Hoffman, and her organization, both the Israel Religious Action Center and Women of the Wall, both of which are flagship grantees of the New Israel Fund, went to the high court to petition the high court to desegregate city buses. Do you guys remember this? And I always say, lest it get you down, remember, the good guys won, right? And Israel, like our country, is a one step forward, one step back, or two step forward, one step back, uh, kind of a democracy. It's always emerging. And in this case, uh, ultra-Orthodox folks in Jerusalem and a few other cities had successfully uh, campaigned to have women sit in the back of public city buses traveling through their neighborhoods. And this case went all the way up to the high court, uh, supported by NIF and NIF organizations. And then Justice, Chief Justice Dorit Benish, wrote in her decision in 2011, it is hard for me to believe that in 2011, this court has to rule that you cannot segregate buses uh, in the state of Israel based on gender or anything else, but here it is. You can't segregate buses in the state of Israel. So again, lest you get too depressed, I want you just to think about what's happening around the world, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, and even in our own country. Uh, in Israel, 
the Martin Luther King adage is always true. The arc of the moral universe is often long, but it bends towards justice. So in 2011, 32 years after we were founded, Israel's leading newspaper, Haaretz, wrote this about the New Israel Fund, and I quote, there's hardly any significant socially oriented organization today in Israel that does not owe its existence to the New Israel Fund. And we're very proud of that description. But just two years ago, the New York Times wrote that New Israel Fund is the leading organization working to promote democracy and equality in Israel. Now we're proud of that one too, but the difference between these two descriptions of who we are and what we do speaks volumes about where Israel has gone and the role that NIF tries to play in the ongoing debate over what kind of place it's going to continue to be. Now, how many of you saw the movie The Big Short? Right? So I saw it on an airplane, which is where I spend a lot of my time in this job, and I really liked it, but I'm not here to talk about it. Uh, I want to talk instead about the quote that was flashed on the screen when the movie opened. It was a Mark Twain quote. You remember that one? It was, it ain't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And this sums up one of the great challenges that all of us have in talking about Israel these days, whoever we are. Because all of us have an idea of Israel that we have received. We've received it from stories, from shul, from Sunday school, from church if we go to church, from our families, from our political orientation, from our lack of religiosity or our religious observance, from what we read, where we get our news, what we saw when we traveled to Israel, or what our friends told us about what they saw. And this is especially true in our Jewish community. There's no more polarizing issue in our community right now than Israel. At our Shabbat tables, in our synagogues, in our organizations, poll after poll, from the, the polls of sociologists like Ari Kelman and Stephen M. Cohen to the polls that Pew and Gallup have done, show that as Israel moves in terms of its policies further to the right, more and more American Jews move away from Israel. And this has major implications for our community and for our communal institutions. This is hard stuff to acknowledge, and it's hard stuff to talk about. But the things that we know and that we're sure we know about Israel and what's happening there do not necessarily reflect what is actually happening on the ground. And the story in Israel is really quite likely different from the story that you know or that I know, whatever that story may be, whether you're from the right, left, or center when it comes to Israel. You all know Israel is a very complicated place. It's a place that requires nuances. Thinking in terms of black and white in Israel just never cuts it. So I want to talk about some things that may be difficult for some of us to hear or talk about. But we American Jews who love and care about Israel have to engage, and we have to talk, and we have to work with our brothers and sisters in Israel from whatever angle we come at these issues, or we risk, I think, losing something very precious and very vital. So I want to offer two propositions with which you may or may not agree. I am sure I will hear all about that afterwards. First, I believe that Israel is the great endeavor of the Jewish people in modern times. It is a story of redemption and salvation and almost miraculous renewal in the wake of unthinkable destruction. Israel is an unfolding, often very messy work in progress, but the dream of a democratic Israel that offers true equality to all of its citizens while at the same time serving as a home for the Jewish people is a beautiful dream, and I think it's a dream that's worth fighting for. But I also believe that the dream is in danger 
And here, I am not talking about the very real external threats that Israel faces. These dangers are discussed frequently and in great detail, and there are a host of American Jewish organizations from APAC to J Street and beyond that focus on how best American Jews can help Israelis deal with them. I want to talk about another threat to Israel, and that's my second proposition. Look, it's not just that there's a lot of angst in the world these days, right? This is a tough time for democracies. It's a tough time for democracies in Europe, where lots of things that people thought they understood about the great post-war structure there are being questioned. It's a tough time for democracy at home right now, many of us feel. And it is a tough time for democracy in Israel. And I think in Israel, democracy, as we understand it, is in danger. The always fragile and carefully calibrated and recalibrated balancing act between the democratic and Jewish aspects of Israel's identity is in transition and in flux and the democratic aspect is in danger of being diminished and compromised in favor of the Jewish aspect. And I don't believe that an Israel that permanently places its Jewish character over its democratic character, remember for the last almost 70 years, Israel has worked carefully to keep both of those things as what defines it as a country. I don't believe that an Israel that compromises the democratic aspects of its character will continue to thrive and perhaps even survive, at least not as a place that resembles the Israel we know and love, or as a place that coming generations of American Jews, liberal American Jews, will want to have anything to do with less support, and that is of great concern to me, and I think it should be to all of us. And I think at the heart of the challenges to Israeli democracy are two things. There's lots of other things, but we don't have a lot of time. First, the two big things. First, the unresolved relationship between religion and state. You all know that Israel has no separation of religion and state. Specifically, though, I'm talking about the lack of any authentic indigenous Israeli uncoupling of Judaism and state authority. The late great Orthodox philosopher Leibovitz wrote famously that he was less worried about the damage that Judaism would do to the state of Israel than he was about the damage the state of Israel would do to Judaism. And this concern is connected directly to the other great challenge to Israeli democracy and you have every right to disagree with what I'm about to say. And that other great driving force for the threat against Israeli democracy is, in my opinion, the 49-year-old occupation and settlement enterprise in the West Bank. Now, whatever you think of it, whether you support it or not, support for and pursuit of the settlement enterprise is now the guiding political and ideological philosophy of the current leadership in Israel. And if you don't take my word for it, just look at the headlines in the papers this week. Look at Prime Minister Netanyahu's concerns that he's voicing about what's going to happen in an Obama lame duck session after the election in November. And many of us believe that this focus on the settlement enterprise above everything else is happening at the expense of Israel's democratic character and its standing in the world. Now. Let me also recommend to you a piece, a profile about Miri Regev, the very interesting Israeli Minister of Culture and Sport, uh, who is profiled in the upcoming New York Times Magazine on Sunday. And if you want to see the way that this issue is driving things like culture and sport in Israel, it's a fascinating read. If this feels hard to swallow, what I'm saying, think of this. The threat to previously accepted democratic norms is not unique to Israel. Because who among us tonight would have dreamed before Wednesday that we would be discussing whether a president for, pre for a, pr a candidate for president of the United States of America would actually accept the results of an election. 
A few months ago, I spoke at one of your sister shuls in the Bay Area, across the Bay. And before I spoke, the rabbi uh, did an exercise with the congregation. Uh, he asked people to list their concerns about Israel. And the answers were ones that I have, unfortunately, gotten used to hearing, and many of us are familiar with them. People said, I love Israel, but I'm afraid it's becoming more and more hardline. I'm afraid it's becoming more and more religious and maybe xenophobic. Israelis and American Jews are drifting farther and farther apart. Israel is changing into a place I don't recognize anymore, they said. But though I've heard this for a long time, when I was at the shul in the East Bay for the first time in my seven years as NIF CEO, it occurred to me that many of the worries that the congregants were voicing about Israel could apply to our situation here at home. Because here too, many of us worry that our country may be drifting in a direction that we don't agree with and is in danger of changing into a place that we don't really recognize. And while this is scary, it's also a powerful reminder that when liberal, democratic, and in the case of Israel, Jewish values are threatened, when politicians in any country present policies that are anathema to the very values upon which their countries are founded, it is not the time to give up, drop out, walk away, or lower our voices. Rather, for those of us who care about Israel, and for that matter, our own country, it's the time to roll up our sleeves and get to work. At that shul in the East Bay, one of the congregants asked me, what happened to the beautiful Israel? She was referring to the notion of Yisrael Yafa, uh, an idyllic, mythical idea of Israel that many of us share, an ideal that sometimes seems like it's moving further and further away from the reality on the ground. But, Chevre, my friends, I'm going to tell you, the beautiful Israel is alive and well, and it blossoms in the places where all Israelis from all backgrounds work to build a better, fairer, more open society. It exists where regular Israelis push back against the messages and policies and actions coming from extremists of all stripes, from all sides, and too often from many in power in Israel today. And NIF has the privilege of being one of the engines to support those who work every day for the realization of this beautiful vision of Israel. The beautiful Israel is in the NIF grantee organizations working for coexistence and shared society for all Israelis. Organizations that you may have heard of like Sikui or the Abraham Fund initiatives. These are organizations that in the face of the Prime Minister's unfortunate election eve statement that Arab Israeli citizens were quote, being bused to the polls to vote in droves, worked on their part to secure bilingual signage in Arabic and Hebrew on those very buses and trains and all public transportation vehicles in the state of Israel, and they succeeded. And this may seem like a small thing to us sitting in San Francisco, but it sends a big message of inclusion and belonging to the 22% of the population of Israel who are Arab citizens. The beautiful Israel is in one of the newest grantees that we support, Zazim, which means in Hebrew, we are moving, which is the first Israeli affiliate of the international moveon.org network of activism organizations. This is a project that we incubated and launched just last year. And in the face of the decision by the education ministry run by Minister Naftali Bennett, a guy who last month, by the way, said it was more important for Israeli kids in school to learn Talmud and Torah than it was for them to learn math and science. In the, in the face of the decision for the ministry to ban a book, that a novel about an Arab Jewish romance, uh, a bunch of teenagers, high school students, started a petition on Zazim, on the IsraeliMoveOn.org, that garnered over 10,000 signatures to stop that move. And although they didn't succeed, the beautiful Israel is also in the fact that that book is on the top of all Israeli bestseller lists right now. 
the beautiful Israel is in the faces of the 25,000 Israelis, including dozens of members of Knesset, who marched in Jerusalem's gay pride parade this past July after an influential rabbi who was a leader of the settlement movement called gays and lesbians and bisexual and trans people, quote, perverts. And 300 other prominent Israeli rabbis, all state employees, signed a letter supporting him. This was just a year after a teenage girl was murdered by an ultra-religious man at the same parade. 25,000 Israelis showed up to say, not in our name. So the next time the news from Israel, or for that matter, the news from our own country gets you down, the next time you feel like giving up and walking away, remember this, the beautiful Israel is still there, but the beautiful Israel needs us, it needs you. The tens of thousands of Israelis who are working every day to realize this vision are asking us, that is, American Jews who refuse to choose between our liberal social justice values and our Zionism and passionate love for and support of Israel, uh, they are asking us to be their partners and to support them in their work. And the ideas that they stand for, an Israel that shines a light of human rights, religious freedom, social justice, shared society, they're being challenged as never before in Israel. And these Israelis are working to secure a future for their country, our, our beloved Israel, which is both a homeland for the Jewish people and an open, equal democracy for all of its citizens, which is the way the country is envisioned in its own founding Declaration of Independence. But they need our help. They're asking us to speak up and to stand with them. So, friends, if you love Israel, but you're worried about where it's going, if you want to contribute to what I believe is the great Jewish story of our times, if you want your liberal American Jewish children to care about this stuff, if the vision of Israel that reflects its founding principles is something that moves you as you sit here tonight, then don't succumb to despair and don't walk away. Instead, make sure that 5777 is the year that you get into the game. Make it the year in which you say loud and clear to our Israeli brothers and sisters, Hineni, I'm here. Thank you very much and Shabbat Shalom.